And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great, great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they had heard, when, when, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that, in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, continued with Philip. And seeing signs and, seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they may they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, He'd offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part or lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray to the Lord, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoke the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Amen. Let's go before the word in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're in such need of your kingdom, and we see that your kingdom in the passage is unstoppable and spreading. So Father, um, take your word and do surgery on our hearts, because we need to hear um, not only good news about your kingdom coming, but about Christ saving us from our sins. Let us see ourselves um, in this passage. Give us the word that we need to hear. Your name I pray. Amen. So as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've been seeing how God has chosen to establish his kingdom. We see that Jesus gives them the Great Commission, but then tells them to wait. So 
go into all the world, but first wait. And then they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And all throughout Acts, we see that the Spirit is the one guiding and leading to build God's kingdom. It wasn't the great plans of these apostles that built the kingdom. It was the sovereign hand of God through the Holy Spirit. And we see it, and we'll see it even now in this passage. Um, to get a main point, um, I, I would say it's God's kingdom is unstoppable, and we can't enter it in any human way. So we come to the place right after Stephen's death. Last week we covered Stephen's martyrdom. He's the first martyr of the early church. Up to this time, the church had kind of been untouchable. They, they had put then some of the apostles in prison, Peter, and God had miraculously delivered them and, and had saved them from harm. But this is the first time that the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually killed somebody. So, and you can see, it seems like Paul's encouraged by this and tries to put more people in prison. So great persecution comes on the church. So the, the church suffers not only the loss of a great preacher and brother, a deacon, Stephen, but then is scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. But we'll see how God uses, uses every bit of it to, for his glory. If you had to describe Saul, um, in one word, I think you would say steal. Um, to have the bold, boldness to approve of somebody's execution, and then, uh, when describing Paul in verse 3, you see it says Saul was ravaging the church. He was, he was relentlessly going after the followers of Christ. Anyone who spoke about him or was known to have spoken about him or knew of him was being put into prison to wait trial. Saul thought he was pleasing God, though, by what he was doing. He thought he was keeping the faith pure. He thought he was actually doing God a favor. And we, we learn more about Saul later, and who becomes Paul, that he was trying to earn God's favor by his righteous works. He, he was known to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees, someone who was on point religiously, knew the answers, and knew, knew what he thought God wanted, and, knew, and felt like he kept it blamelessly, without fault. The early church early Christians at this time um, fled as we see they were scattered in the regions of Judea and Samaria. And I, I want to point out that fleeing wasn't cowardly. Uh, Matthew 8, Matthew 10, 23, Jesus says, when you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. So it was not necessarily a, a, a cowardly thing or a sinful thing to flee persecution. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. And we'll see that God even uses this persecution to spread the gospel. Because where, where are the two regions they said they went? Was Judea and Samaria. So earmark that. Judea and Samaria. Now let's let's go to Acts 1, 8. At the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, we see the Great Commission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So notice, notice this, Luke's emphasis is, and his account of the Great Commission is not on you should go, you should be my witnesses, but you will be. 
God's hand is totally sovereign over this. And up to this time, the, the apostles and disciples hadn't gone to Judea or Samaria. Those weren't places they were focusing on. They were all around Jerusalem. But we'll see that, as we see that the persecution Saul met, meant to squelch the gospel, actually served to spread it to the two places that Jesus prophesied they would go. I just think that's, I just think that's amazing. If, if you think about the big blow this was to the church, the fear, the discouragement, losing Stephen, the, there was a great lament over Stephen, and, the, and, and then the fear of being caught, like, oh, they get, is he going to, Saul going to come in my house and pull me out and put me in prison? But all the while, God was in control of the whole thing. He didn't let Stephen die. And he, he wasn't um, off doing something else and whoops, Stephen died. It was all, God was using all of it to spread. And through an unusual means, like, um, if I was, was going to start a kingdom, I wouldn't start with persecution to spread it. That's, that seems upside down, but it doesn't seem intuitive to us. And it also speaks of how God uses everything, even what the enemy intends for evil, he means it for our good. That, that, is, that is something so beautiful in this passage, that, that the enemy meant to squelch the gospel, to, to bind their mouths with fear. They don't. They didn't. The Spirit enabled them to go throughout all the regions and preach. And, and yeah, and we'll, we'll unpack more as we go on, but there's really three scenes we see. We see Saul in the scattered church. We see the Samaritan revival, and then we see Simon the Magician. And to reiterate that point that God's sovereign even over Satan's actions, just point, pulling some stuff out of Bible, Job, um, Satan had to ask God for permission to touch Job. And we see that in Joseph in the Bible, when he talks to his brothers and reveals himself as being um, Joseph, he says to his brothers who had sold Joseph into slavery, he said, you meant it for evil. So he doesn't take the blame off of them, and we don't get to take the blame if we meant something for evil, but God meant it for good. It actually saved their family. Um, and we see that even though Judas sold Jesus and betrayed him, that God had been planning that since the dawn of time for Christ to die in our place. So that Satan's merely a pawn for God. He, he, he wants to destroy us and make our lives miserable, but there's nothing that he can do to God apart from God allowing it. And God ends up, ends up using the, Satan's tools against him. It's my, one of my favorite verses. Um, Romans 8, 28. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to purpose, to his purpose. So all things. We don't have to leave anything out of that. So Saul ravages the church and ends up spreading the gospel. And we see one account of some people that were spreading. We're told that all these people that were spread were scattered were preaching the word. So there's all the there's many, many towns hearing about Christ. You zoom in on Philip, who goes to the Samaritans. 
And now we talk about what a Samaritan was and the divide between them and the Jews. There was a very big ethnic barrier. Barrier. It, if you wanted to insult somebody or, or curse at them, you might call them a Samaritan. If you recall, um, one of the accounts of Jesus, the, they, they accused Jesus of being a Samaritan and having a demon. So you think about how the Jews thought about Samaritans. Samaritans weren't on, on uh, weren't favored among them because they were half Jewish. They had married other other races, so they were considered half breeds. John four nine, um, talk, uh, the passage about the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman says, "How is it you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman?" And then John notes, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So how how was this barrier overcome? Well, I don't think Philip had in his mind to go to Samaria until, until Saul was ravaging the church. And the Spirit led him out to Samaria. So we so again it's so so encouraging to see how the Lord uses the enemies work against him. So Saul was trying to squelch the gospel in Jerusalem, ends up spreading it and knocking down an ethnic barrier in Samaria. It's just, it's just remarkable. There's no reason to distrust what God's doing. And you see that Philip comes in power, in power and um, does things that Simon in the region wasn't doing. Casting out demons, healing the lame. And no doubt when um, and no doubt when the Samaritans came to faith and they were among the the Jewish Christians, there was still strife because they came from a different background than, than the Jews did. But in the kingdom of God this difference is we all conform to Christ, which is so amazing. We're not, I'm not a Jew first, Samaritan first, I'm not from my family first, I'm not white first, I'm not, I'm for God first. It's not what race you were, what house you grew up in, what, that's not first. In the church, it's God's first. We're all conforming to his family. So we leave, we leave what's in our culture behind that doesn't conform to him. I'm beautifully mixed together um, by, the, by the grace of God. It's not the Jewish way of doing God, it's the Samaritan way of doing God, but we all conform to God's way of doing God. And now, now we arrive at um, the biggest portion of this uh, passage, which is Simon. Simon was a magician, somebody who whether, whether it was through trickery, um, like an illusionist you might see doing card tricks, or whether it was demonic, we don't, we're not told. But he, was, but he was fooling people because he wasn't saying, I'm gonna trick you like a magician might, and then you know, doing it just for the entertainment. He was saying, he, he was somebody great. You should acknowledge me as somebody great. And you see that the Samaritans even gave him a, a, a name. It says, this man is the power of God that is called great. See, the Samaritans were even fooled to thinking that maybe even Simon, maybe maybe this is the Savior we've been after. The, 
the whole region was waiting for the Christ, waiting for a Messiah to save them. And they might have thought Simon was it. But then Philip comes along and, and, and blows the whole thing out of the water. And not, not because of Philip, but because of the Spirit working in him. Performing signs that Simon had never seen. He was amazed, it says. Simon was amazed at this. And he, it said, like, note in verse 9, he said, who had previously practiced magic. So when Simon believed, he had put away, at least for a time, um, his magic practice. Because he had seen someone um, who was performing greater signs than he was. But then Simon's true heart is revealed when the Spirit is given. Because we see that when Philip preached, they were baptized, but the Spirit hadn't fallen yet. And I, um, I, I want to make a quick note, because this, this passage might seem like there's two things we need. We need to be saved, and then we need the Holy Spirit added later. That's, um, that's, not, actually, that's not actually how, it, um, how God was doing it. We can see later, and um, I can find my reference. See, that God was doing this to show the apostles that, that the Samaritans were actually part of the church. So, like, he, later in the book of Acts, there's a Roman centurion, Cornelius, that gets saved, that Peter has a vision about, and he goes and he witnesses to, and then the Holy Spirit falls on him. And Peter says about him, it's like, therefore, if God gave him the gift that he gave us in believing Jesus Christ, who am I to hinder him? Who am I to hinder what God's doing? So we see that the Spirit's given through the apostles so they can see that God gave them the Holy Spirit too. So God's extending his family. It's not become a Jew, then become a Christian. It's He's extending the family. Oh, it's Samaritans too. I guess you don't need to become a Jew, a full Jew, in order to be, in order to be saved. So it has less to do with uh, a salvation or like a second blessing and more to do with God showing the church what it needs to look like. But Simon takes this, takes this as an opportunity to get back the power that he had lost. Because Philip was out doing his magic and now he wants the power to, to give the Holy Spirit um, obviously for, for gain. He, the apostles weren't necessarily rich people uh, so offering the money, you think, man, and, and if Simon had been entrancing the whole region, it said, from the least to the greatest, he probably had a lot of money from from that, um, that from his magic. So he offered them money, thinking they're going to take it because these people look, look pretty poor. We see Peter sees right through the sees right through this, and his heart is. Simon had put away his magic and believed, but he hadn't fully. He, he thought he could keep some of his kingdom and God's kingdom. Like let me, let me just—it's a pyramid scheme, right? Let me—you can be at the top, God, but let me have my pyramid scheme underneath it. Let me, let me still remain king in this kingdom and my kingdom in this area. But God would have none, none of it. I'll read what Peter says. May, may your silver, silver perish with you. That's so strong. Um, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. 
There's other examples of this in the Bible. There's the servant of Elisha that after Naaman gets healed of his leprosy uh, and rejects a gift from Naaman, the servant runs after him and says, actually, Elisha wants some money um, to help somebody, and, but is really trying to keep it for himself. And then the leprosy that was cast off of Naaman comes onto the serpent because he was trying to use God's power for gain. Same thing with Balaam, who was trying to trying to get payment from Balak, King Balak, to curse the Israelites. And that sin is not treated lightly. It says that he's, Peter says he sees that Simon is in the gall of bitterness. Like, in, the, in the context, it kind of means that like at the we're all under God's wrath, apart from Christ. We're all we're all rebellious. But this particular sin of trying to use God to influence your own kingdom has you at, at the most horrible place of God's wrath, in the gall of bitterness, like it um, just got at the heat of God's anger. So. Some people might have just thought, like, man, Peter, why'd you come down so hard on him? Why don't you just give him a hug and say, man, you just don't understand God's kingdom. But we need, the thing that Peter did was deliver the law of God. We need the law of God to pierce our hearts. We need God's word to do surgery on our hearts. Surgery isn't pain-free, but we need it. We need the cancer that is in a sin to be dug out of us. So now picture this, just kind of, now that we've said almost the whole story, let's step back and see. So the church has Stephen, or the, the, Stephen gets martyred, and a persecution starts. Saul ravages the church, trying to squelch the gospel. That ends up spreading the gospel and knocking down an ethnic barrier, barrier to the Samaritans and toppling Simon's kingdom. It's just amazing what God used um, on his own accord to accomplish his mission. God's, so we see that God's kingdom is unstoppable. Like, don't try to stop it. Look what Saul did. He, he tried to stop it, and he couldn't. Simon tried to corrupt it from the inside, and he was um, shown for who he was. But we can't enter this kingdom in a human way. You can't just sign up for it. So now, now let's think about us in the kingdom. How are we like Simon or Saul? Both of these men thought they were okay with God. Both thought they could manipulate God in some way, one way or the other, earning God's favor by keeping God's rules or by bargaining with God like Simon. Both thought they understood the kingdom. Like, this is how it works, right? I do enough good works and God is pleased with me. Or I, I can bargain with God's servants and then get something out of it. Both of them were self-deceived. Both of them were after their own kingdoms and after their own names, not after the name of God. Saul, Saul would probably say he was after the name of God, but he was zealous for his own name, for his own brand of being a Pharisee of Pharisees. 
what a true citizen of the kingdom of God looks like is somebody who wants no kingdom of their own, but only wants God in their hearts and the hearts of others. Whom in their mind and in their heart, God is the most beautiful, precious God in their lives. And they can't pull themselves away from marveling at Him. But I still find myself drifting like a Saul or a Simon. Even, even knowing that I am a child of God. So let's, I have some questions. Let these just simmer in our hearts for a little bit. Um, see what the Spirit might do. Don't let the defensive walls go up, but let the Holy Spirit um, cut away at the cancer of our hearts. How are you trying to earn God's approval? What do you feel like, I just need to take care of this, just this, and everything will work out for me? You believe God helps those who help themselves? I, I know I can find myself in, in this constantly. It's an easy test just to, is to um, notice what your heart does when stuff doesn't go according to your plan and your vision, like what you thought should happen. My heart tends to complain. My heart tends to be like, God, again? I thought we were past this. I thought we were past this. I, I remember, uh, it's a funny, funny story now, but at my one of my jobs, um, I had an annual review, and the review was great. Um, but there's this one point where he gave me needs improvement, just this one point. And for a whole year, I was so mad and bitter at my boss. Because I thought I could earn favor, and I was like, man, he didn't understand. Why didn't you tell me sooner so I didn't get this one thing? But I was looking for me. I was looking for, my, uh, for me to be perfect in the eyes of the company, or to have a good reputation. Not, not for God to be known, not for... Um, not for the best good of the company. It actually came out uh, this past year with, with you and talking with my wife. wife she was like, Joe, you're dealing with something and you're not acknowledging it. I'm like, am I really? No, I don't think I am. And she kept digging it out of me until finally um, I was shown, it was shown to be as child, it sounds childish and it is. But our hearts, so is our hearts, aren't they? They can so easily just um, be, be childlike, childish. So, so let's get back to questions. How are we like Simon? What would we want God's power for? Like if given a chance to change one thing about your life, what would you do to say, That's, this would make everything better if this one thing changed? feel like if you just said the right things in the right order, that people would listen and things would happen. You feel like what God wants for you is a, a, a rich and popular life, a life that goes well. How much time do you spend thinking about ways to earn money or get people's attention? You see, that's exactly what Simon did. Um, 
he was after the admiration of all the Samaritans, and he used it for gain. On our own, we want God to help us build our kingdom, not for us to build his. We consider him a different kind of savior. And here I'll talk about my story of salvation. Just I, I grew up in the church. I, I didn't have a dramatic uh, conversion experience. But when I was little, um, Christ became just a ticket out of hell for me. Because my mom told me that if you didn't believe in Jesus, that you would go to hell. And so and mommy wasn't gonna be in hell. So I didn't want to, I wanted to be with mommy. So I, I prayed my prayer and I was I was scared of hell. I just wanted just wanted to not go there. I wanted to be with mom. Um, and it continued to just be about fear, fear of hell. So I, I just want God to take me out of hell. But I didn't really want to build his kingdom. Then he became the savior from the consequences of my sins. So um, in high school, I was exposed to porn and saw how it took over my life. I had grown up as the good kid at Sunday school. Grew up as the kid who knew was so quiet, knew the answers. But I saw what this was showing me was I wasn't a good person. And I, I, I just wanted God to take the consequences of his, consequences out of my life. Not necessarily that I would render my heart to him. And then I wanted him to make me the best possible me I could be. Like give me a good job, career, give me a wife. Things would be said. Every, by God's grace, every one of those he proved himself to be a different kind of savior. He kept, he kept at me. He kept um, pursuing me until he kept showing me that I was idolizing myself, that I was trying to be about my kingdom. Until God broke through and He became the most beautiful person, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and worth all of my heart, all of my time, everything. Now, don't get me wrong, I still struggle. I'm not in glory yet. But, but it, he continues to remind me of the kind of Savior he is. Not that he saves me from uncomfortable circumstances or um, saves me from this thing or that thing or out of hell, but he saves me to himself, to worship him, to be about him. I, I was holding on to um, my, I was holding on to self-righteousness. I wanted to be right in my own eyes, to be good to look at spiritually in the mirror, to be something good to look at. And I wanted to keep that, even in God's kingdom. You see that Simon tried to keep his influence in the kingdom of God, but it just won't work. God will let us have our kingdoms in his. It doesn't work that way. Um, God's not cool with who we are naturally. Because what we want naturally is corrupt. You see, like, all the works of the flesh are evidence. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, orgies, and things like this. I warn you that, as I warned you before, that those who do such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.19-21. You see that the things that I want naturally in the flesh mean that I'm not a citizen of the kingdom of God. 
and I'd be cast outside of it. In light of how we mock God by trying to earn his favor, or buy him like Simon, how can we be a part of his kingdom? And we, we, again, we see in the chapter how God's kingdom is unstoppable, how it's coming like a Mack truck. And we're all going to face death. And death is the final reckoning day to see whose kingdom we're in. We're either going to try to be in our own kingdom, but we see in Simon, in Simon that Peter says that he is in the bond of iniquity. Have you ever seen a king in shackles on his throne? There's not a thing. You're in prison when you have shackles. Simon thought he was king of his region, king of the Samaritans, but he wasn't. He was a puppet king, and the real king was, was Satan. He was the one who was king. So we will either serve one or the other. So how can we enter this kingdom when it's not entered through any human means? I mean, you list off, like, how, how would you get in? Would you try this? Would you try that? Every human means wouldn't would come up short. We can't get in. But God does the work. God accepts you as you are, but doesn't leave you as you are. We don't enter God's kingdom. God enters us. He brings the kingdom to bear on us. Talking about the rich young ruler in Luke 18, Jesus comments how difficult it is for, for to have wealth and to enter the kingdom of God. For it is either easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? So the disciples said, who could be saved if that's the case? Look at how well off he has. Look at the power he has, the influence he has. Look at all the good he could do with what he has. And you're saying that he can't make it? What do you mean? And then Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Amen. That what is impossible with me trying to enter... And I, I can still do that. I can still try to buy God's favor. I can still try to say, God, if I just do the right things, then will you guarantee me this thing? Or will you, or can I use your power to get something, get some gain on the side, you know, for myself, get some reputation that I really want for my, my heart? But that's not what He's about. Luke, Luke 18, um, 16 to 17. Let the little children come to me, Jesus says, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. So how do we enter the kingdom of God? Like a child. And it takes a miracle, miracle to be a child spiritually. Because what is a child like? Uh, not, not very skilled. Think about a kid. Not very skilled. You wouldn't say to a small child, can you, can you go run this errand for me? Or can you take care of the house while I'm gone? Like, no. no, they're not going to be able to do it. They're totally dependent, totally needy, but they're also fixated on what mommy and daddy is saying and what they're doing. And they're humble and small. I'll be honest, as soon as I got out of high school, I was done with school. Because in school, you're told what to do, which is um, something you're told as a child. You're, you're, you're instructed as a child. But in my selfishness, in my pride, I didn't want I was done with school. I'm going to go do something with my life, make my own image, make my life. But thanks be to God, he didn't leave me there. 
Um, honestly, being married has really surfaced how much help I need still. How, much, how many areas of my life I can't fix myself, I can't take, pick myself up by my own bootstraps, that I need someone to guide me. But thanks be to God that He is the one that does the work in our hearts. He is the one that does the impossible. What the disciples said is that, like, then who can say if He can't make it? God did. Because those same disciples that were thinking it would be impossible if it's hard for the wealthy were empowered by the Holy Spirit. So God's gift is what gets us in the kingdom. God's kingdom is unstoppable, and we can't enter it in any human way. How, think of how good that is. If we can't enter it in any human way, then we need to give up trying and, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he made the way, that he is the one doing the work, not us. And that it's unstoppable. It's so comforting to know it's unstoppable. Think of how, again, think of how upside down it seems um, at, when you first start the chapter, it starts with persecution. If, if that happened in my life, it'd be so easy to be discouraged, to be so discouraged. We don't experience anything like this in, in, in America as of now, but it'd be so easy to be so discouraged, but this is the very thing God used to advance his kingdom. So we can know that whatever, whatever we're going through, the hard things that we're going through, that God's using it as a surgical knife to get into our hearts and to expose our sins so that we can we can come in with the Spirit and, and cleanse us. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you don't leave us to ourselves. That even when we try to be put together, when we try to make our own way, to finally do it, to, to try to gain influence or use power, use, use what we can do in our flesh to earn your favor, that it all falls short. Father, I'll be the first to admit that I, I get frustrated to you when you don't keep, when I can't manipulate you at times, when I can't tell you what to do and it's you know best father and we thank you for that you know so much you know exactly what's best even as the church was scattered you were you were building the church which is so counterintuitive father help, help me to see how i might simon and saul in my heart in my heart and help me to repent and to submit to your way of doing life, your way of saying what is good for me, your way of saying what I actually need in my life. Father, show us your face, because your face is so glorious and beautiful, more beautiful than anything else we can chase after. And we can chase far and wide to get our lives the way we want to, but you are the one, and you are the thing that is worth all the glory, all the honor, all the power. Do this miraculous work in our hearts. Make us like children and that marvels at, Father, 
death of our Abba Father. Thank you, thank you for your word. Let it marinate our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.